Church family, would you now take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter as we continue in our series and in our study of this beautiful part of the Holy Bible. As you're turning here at Rosewood Church of the Nazarene, I want to welcome our radio listeners and internet listeners. Thank you for joining us for this message. Six-year-old Angie came home from school one day with a blue ribbon. A blue ribbon she said she had won for knowing an answer that the teacher asked. And she said, I got this ribbon because I said a giraffe had three legs. Her mother then responded, but a giraffe has four legs. Angie agreed, and she said, I suppose so, Mom, but I was the closest of anybody in the class. <laughs> All right. We're studying on the theme of powerful principles from Peter. Powerful principles from Peter. And we come now to 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 8 through 22. This is the fifth message in this series from this part of our Holy Bible. And the first truth I want to direct your attention to from this passage that we are studying today is this. Congratulations. Congratulations for loving and trusting in Jesus even though you have not seen him. This is spoken of very clearly in verse 8 of 1 Peter chapter 1 where it says, you love him. Well, why don't you read it with me from the big screen. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. There is a sense here. There's a sense in which, in which Peter, as he was writing to these first century Christians and to you and me, there's a sense in which he was saying, congratulations, congratulations for loving and trusting in Jesus even though you have not seen him. Of course, Peter, Peter had seen Jesus. He had been with Jesus as one of the disciples. So he knew him very well, and he also knew how he had disappointed Jesus. But most other Christians, most of the people Peter was writing to, and that also includes you and me, they had not seen Jesus. They had not been with him physically. And so there's a sense in which Peter is saying, wow, isn't it marvelous, isn't it fantastic that you believe in Jesus even without seeing him. I saw him. But you believe even without seeing him. And that's something to rejoice about. Congratulations. There is the case of the disciple named Thomas, who after he was told that Jesus rose from the dead, Thomas said, ah, he said, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands put my fingers into, into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. That's John 20, verse 25. And here is how, here is how the story unfolds with, with Thomas. Uh, 
At uh, John 20, verse 26, it says, Eight days later, eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, suddenly as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, oh boy, oh boy, can you imagine, imagine what Thomas was thinking? Thomas said, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Verse 29. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Amen? Jesus said, blessed are those who believe without seeing me. And I say to you, congratulations for loving and trusting in Jesus, even though you have not seen him physically, unless, of course, he's given some very special revelation to you, which may, may happen. The Lord has a special blessing, says says Jesus, the Lord has a special blessing for you, for you. Now some people would say, some people would say, well, if Jesus does the big miracle for me, then I will believe. Maybe, or maybe you will ask and demand for another miracle, and then another miracle, and another miracle, and another miracle. But Jesus says, blessed are those who believe without seeing. Amen. If you haven't believed in Jesus yet, I invite you to put your faith, your faith in and love for Jesus today. Let it be so, my friends. Let it be so. I was reading these beautiful words in a book by Dr. W.A. Criswell. I think the only other time I quoted him recently was actually in the first message. But uh, Dr. Criswell writes this. He says, it is our love, it is our love for Christ that makes us Christians. Sometimes that love can be expressed in adoring silence, just being quiet in his presence. Sometimes that love can be expressed by irrepressible tears like showers of rain, tears falling from our faces in his presence. Sometimes that love can be expressed by deeds of mercy done in his name. And sometimes that love is expressed by the confession of his faith at the peril of life. However, it may be that it will always express itself if you love the Lord. In fact, that is the heart of the Christian faith. The Lord himself said, this is the first and great commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. Amen? Amen? My father-in-law, Tom, was at the Brampton Civic Hospital for just over eight weeks following a fall 
at his home in Brampton. He was living with his son. Following a fall in his home, which resulted in a broken hip. On Thursday of this week, around 3.20 in the afternoon, I got there earlier in the day, but on Thursday of this week, around 3.20 in the afternoon, I watched my father-in-law take his last breath before he died. And what encouraged me, what encouraged me greatly was remembering how when he was previously at the same hospital over a year ago, I was driving out to the Brampton Civic Hospital over a year ago and, and more recently, usually about once a week to visit him and read scripture and encourage him and pray with him. And of course, in recent weeks, I was also seeing Jamie at that same hospital, Brampton Civic. On one of my visits last year, a little bit longer than that, on one of my visits back then, I took him outside in a wheelchair for some fresh air. And I felt led to once again talk to him about his relationship with the Lord. I was burdened about him being at peace with God. Over a year ago, we didn't know if he was going to survive, and I, whether it's my relative or someone else, uh, I'm always concerned about a person being ready to meet the Lord. Amen? Over the years, over the years, I had talked with my father-in-law about putting his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And most times, to be honest with you, he, he turned me off and uh, would usually say something like, well, you got your faith and I got mine, or you got your faith and I'm not interested. In, in fact, he, he wore hearing aids so that literally when he didn't want to hear you, he would just turn, <laughs> turn that thing, those things off, you know. Uh, uh, and that applied to not only me talking to him about things he didn't want to hear, it also applied when the little grandkids would make too much noise. He, had, he didn't have any problem with lots of noise. He'd just turn off the, the hearing aid. But anyway, last year, however, when he was at the Brampton Civic Hospital, and I took him outside in the wheelchair for him to get some fresh air, when I said to him, Father, Father, are you trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? And to my joy and my surprise, he didn't turn me off that time. He didn't turn me off as he usually did in the past. Instead, instead, he said, yes, yes, I am trusting in Jesus as my Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen. And we talked further, we talked further, and I, I prayed with him and rejoiced with him in his salvation. I took him back to his hospital room and when I left, I knew, I knew that he had peace with God. And I knew his eternal home was in heaven, whether he ever got out of the hospital that previous six-week stay or, or whenever. And of course, the last time he got out of the hospital. Well, this past Thursday afternoon, as I watched Father breathe his last few breaths, I was sad, 
I was sad I've had a very good relationship with my father-in-law. I was sad because another one of our family members was leaving this earthly life. I was sad, but I was also very glad because I knew his eternal home was heaven. And I ask you today here in the Rosewood Church of the Nazarene Sanctuary, and I ask our radio listeners, is your eternal home in heaven? Start loving Jesus. Start honoring him. Start being committed to him. Start by repenting of your sins and saying, Lord, I repent and I believe Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for my sins and I commit my heart, my life to you. Amen. There's a second truth that strikes me as I continue to read these verses and here's a second truth. Why don't you read it with me from the big screen? Cherish the joy which loving and trusting in Jesus can bring you. This comes out, of course, in verses 8 and 9. Now, this is the New Living Translation. Some of you may have other translations and it would sound a little bit different. But uh, verses 8 and 9 declare the following. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Though you do not see him, you trust him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Question, why? Why can you and I have joy from loving and trusting in Jesus? Why? Well, here are a few Reasons why. Anyone making notes? The first one is A, and it is this. Joy because you know your sins are forgiven. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. So you do not have to, you do not, you do not have to live life filled with guilt. Because when you confess your sins... He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins, he says. Here's another reason for joy. Point B, joy because you have the presence of Jesus' spirit in you. In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 23, it says this. Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. He says, my Father will love them and we will come and we will come and make our home with each of them, with each of you, with each of us. He says, I will come and make my home. You and I can have joy because we have the presence of Jesus, Jesus' spirit in us. Amen? Point C. We have joy because you have peace with God. Romans 5.1 declares, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have what? We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. 
Amen. Point D, we have joy from knowing, from knowing the Lord has good plans for you. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says, the plans I have, you, I have for you, says the Lord, they are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Joy from knowing the Lord has good plans for you. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? E, you can have joy from knowing that the Lord loves you greatly, loves you greatly. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says... How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That's a new international version. I love that translation for that verse because, because of how it's stated. How great is the love the Father has lavished, has lavished, has poured out upon us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Amen? Point F. You and I have joy from knowing, from knowing you have the promise of heaven. Amen? The promise of heaven. 1 Peter 1, verse 4. We uh, studied it a few weeks ago. It says, we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach beyond the reach of change and decay. Isn't that lovely? We have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled. Hallelujah! Isn't that glorious? Amen. Amen. B.E. Warren captured some of this joy in the great hymn, Joy unspeakable joy unspeakable I, I wasn't sure I wasn't I wasn't sure if we would sing this but you know what I think we should sing it George and Ruth and others come come on up let's sing it Let, let's sing you know what we need our drummer on this uh, song on this hymn where's our drummer brother come on and beat the drums joy unspeakable and full of glory amen George Here's a microphone for you. I'm going to just uh, kindly remind our technicians to just, just uh, do their magic there so that the radio listeners don't, don't have their ears blown out by, by you and me. <laughs> and then turn it back to normal after this uh, congregational song. Let's stand, shall we?
has never yet been told. I have found a hope so bright and clear, living in the realm of grace. Oh, the Savior's presence is so near. I can see His smiling face. It is joy. congregation. Yes. Praise the Lord. It is joy unspeakable. Psalm 9 verse 2 says, I will be filled with joy because of you. I will sing praises to your name, O Most High. And Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 declares, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Hallelujah, hallelujah. All right. Let's move to this third truth here. Third truth, it, it is this. Realize, realize that prophets prophesied hundreds of years earlier that Christ would suffer to make possible our salvation. They prophesied that, that the Son of God would, in fact, die to pay the price for your sins and mine. And this truth comes across and is taught, for example, in Isaiah chapter 53 and in other places in the Old Testament. But 700 years before Jesus was even born, in Isaiah 53, beginning at verse 3, the prophet says, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we, we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's past to follow our own. Yes, the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep, in, as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. 
He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. The prophet Isaiah, 700 years even before Jesus was born, prophesied that a Savior would come to save us from our sins. And in 1 Peter, 1 Peter here, verses 10, verses 10 and following, he talks about it. This salvation, this salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or, or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Wow. 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 Isn't it something that God set in motion the salvation plan? to provide for you and me and, through, and for people throughout time salvation, a plan for, for the coming of Jesus hundreds of years before he was even born. God, God has his master plan. And his master plan includes you and me. His master plan includes you and me wanting to seek forgiveness of sins and to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. Amen? Amen? Let me take you to a fourth beautiful truth. It is this. Be inspired and be eager to live a holy life. Now, the whole, a whole sermon and more can be uh, presented from these verses 13 and 21. But listen, listen. Listen to what he says here. All right? Verse 30, 13. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy. You must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. That's the Lord speaking. Verse 17. And remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. Temporary residents here on earth. Isn't that something? Verse 18. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed, revealed for your sake. Verse 21, through Christ, you have come to trust in God and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. Great glory. 
In my, in my Life Application Study Bible, New Living Translation, the Bible commentator speaks some beautiful truths about the verses that I just read, and especially focusing on verses 14, 15, and, and, and 16. Speaks of these beautiful truths about living a holy life. Living a holy life. Here's, here's what he says. Here's what he says. He says, Peter's words, Peter's words mean that all parts, all parts of our lives and character should be in the process of becoming conformed, both inwardly and outwardly conformed to God's standards. Isn't that good? Conformed to God's standards. He says, after people commit their lives to Christ, they sometimes still feel a pull back to their old ways. Peter tells us to be like our Heavenly Father, holy in everything we do. Holiness means being totally devoted or dedicated to God, set aside for his special use, and set apart from sin and its influence. We're to be set apart and different, not blending. Listen to this, listen to this. We're to be set apart and different, not blending in with the crowd, yet not being different just for the sake of being different. God's qualities in our lives make us different. Isn't that beautiful? Come on, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. God's qualities in our lives make us different. Help me preach this. Come on. Right? Our focus and priorities must be his. All this is in direct contrast to our old ways. We cannot become holy on our own, but God gives us his Holy Spirit to help us obey and to give us power to overcome sin. And then he says this. Oh, listen, he says, he says, all right, all right, all right. It's about time, it's about time, about time. All right. And then he says, he says, don't use the excuse that you can't help slipping into sin. Rely on God's power to free you from sin's grip. Hey, man, isn't that beautiful? All right, all right, all right. Now, oftentimes, oftentimes it is, it is clear whether or not something is right or wrong. Do we agree? I mean, there are many things where it's black or white, as we say. And other times we have to really be, we have to really be sensitive to the Holy Spirit to the Holy Spirit, and, and the Holy Spirit often uses our conscience. I uh, wasn't sure whether to tell you this because some of you might say, Pastor Nick, you, you were bad. You were bad. But for some reason, some of you get blessed when I'm bad. I don't understand. <laughs> Tatiana. <laughs> it's okay, my sister. I love you. And those two precious daughters of yours. Yeah. But um, the previous Saturday, we had a fantastic concert here in the sanctuary with the Collingsworth family. And there were over 900 people here for that fantastic concert. Now, one of my responsibilities that Saturday evening was to uh, operate the camera so that, uh, so that a, a lot of the concert well, especially, especially when uh, 
when I would zoom in on the singers, could be put up on the big screen. And especially when the mother, when the mother played the piano, she had some beautiful solos. I was able to zoom in on the mother playing the grand piano, the grand piano. Now what is incredible about this musical group is they literally travel with their own grand piano. They came from the States with their own, you know what a grand piano is? It's a big, it's a big thing, big piano. And uh, one, once they got it set up, then there was someone here to tune it to make sure it was finely tuned. But it, so anyway, I'm just saying, you know, I was operating the camera, zooming in so we could put the images up on the big screen. There were people all the way to the back of the sanctuary up there. And um, the first half, the concert was kind of part one and a little break for people to uh, drink water and go to the washroom, and then part two. So the first part, the first part, uh, I didn't record. I didn't record on the camera. But um, then when we got to the second part, I thought, oh, this concert is so fantastic. Uh, you know, I really ought to record. I ought to record. So the second half, I pressed the record button. Okay? I pressed the record button, so the second half of the concert, I thought, oh, isn't this wonderful? You know, at least, at least, at least we, we've got half the concert uh, because I, I knew and I know that uh, most likely they'll, they'll never be here again. And, um, and so I thought, this is wonderful. I've got, I've got the second half of the concert recorded for no other reason than historical purposes because yeah, I, I, you know, I have an appreciation for history, which some of you do and some of you don't, I find. But anyway, so the concert finished, and I was so glad that I recorded the second half, except as I was finalizing the DVD, as I was finalizing the DVD, I had a little talk with myself. You know how this talk went? It went like this, it went, Nicholas, you should not have recorded the second half of the concert. And some of you are thinking, well, why not, Pastor Nick? What's the big deal? You should have recorded the whole concert. Well, I said to myself, Nick, you should not have recorded the second half of the concert. And you might say, well, what, why not? Well, I know some things that you don't, maybe. And that is, that is, I know that with professional musicians, with professional musicians who have CDs, who have DVDs, their producers, their producers usually do not want their concerts videotaped. Okay? Now, I didn't know the technicalities and legalities with this musical group, to be honest with you, but in general, when you're dealing with professional singers and musicians, they, they have these contracts with producers and record companies, recording companies, that no one else has the right to videotape. And so as I was finalizing that DVD, on the one hand, I was so happy, I, at least I got half the concert. But Pastor Lisa, on the other half, on the other end of things, I was feeling guilty, just being honest. I didn't want to feel guilty, you know, but I was finalizing the... There are some technical things we have to do to finalize the DVD. And as I finalized it, I thought, you know what? 
I think I'm just going to, I'm going to have to break this and throw it in the garbage. But I thought, before I do that, before I do that, I'll go talk to the concert organizer. I'll talk to him or his wife and, and just be honest. And then so I went to him and I just said, I just said, you know, uh, this is what I did. I recorded the second half. Um, I have no intentions of selling it, just kind of like for our own historical record here. Um, what do you think? Do you think I need to break it and throw it out? He said, oh, I don't know, Pastor Nick. Uh, I'd hate for you to throw it out. He said, why don't, why, don't we talk, why don't we talk to the two main musicians, the mother and the father of the, of the concert? And the mother was just, uh, who played the piano, the mother was just a few feet away, so we went to her, we went to her, and, and, uh, and I said, my dear sister, um, I, I'm the one uh, that, was, that was videotaping and putting the images on the big screen and so on. Well, she knew who I was anyway. Um, and I, I said, you know, I just have to be honest with you here. I recorded the second half of the concert, but I'm not sure that it was really right for me to do that. If you think I should throw it out, I, I, I'll, I'll throw it out. I don't want to do anything wrong. And she, she kindly said, you know, you know, Pastor, I appreciate you talking with me. And she said, I, it's really no big deal to my husband and I. She said, it's just uh, the pr production company that we work with. They have these strict rules about other people recording any of our concerts. And they, they travel all over North America and probably elsewhere as well. And so I said, well, I'll just throw it out. And so then she said, you know, you know what are you going to use it for? I said, oh, just, just kind of like a historical record of the beautiful evening we had with, with your family. And she said, you know, as long as you don't record it, I'm sorry, as long as you don't duplicate it uh, or anything like that, she said, I don't, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with you, you just keeping it in your file type of thing. So I, I tell you that, I tell you that, I guess, um, not because I've been feeling guilty about it anymore, okay? But I tell you that to just say, to just say sometimes things are black and white, but other times, other like when I came to the end of the concert and I was finalizing that DVD, I, I really wasn't expecting, I wasn't expecting to feel so bad about having done what I did. But I did, I did feel, I, I, I really felt convicted that, hey, hey, I, I shouldn't have done that. And so whether it's you or me, we need to be inspired and be eager to live a holy life. And sometimes it's easy to do that. Sometimes, sometimes we have to really, really um, take some steps as I did with that, with that concert issue, whatever the situation might be. Let me close with this fifth beautiful truth, very simple, and it is this. Show sincere love towards each other. This is the fifth powerful principle from Peter today. Show sincere love. Verse 22 says... You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now 
you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. Isn't that beautiful? You must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. And so can we do that? Love each other deeply. Let's pray. Dear Lord, may you inspire, may you inspire each of us and help us to live a holy life. And Lord, may you indeed fill our hearts with your love so we love each other greatly and deeply. And our Father, if there's anyone listening today in this sanctuary here at Rosewood Church of the Nazarene or our radio listeners, internet listeners, if there's anyone listening, dear Lord, who has not yet started to love you and trust you with all their heart, even though they have not seen you, I pray that you would inspire and lead and help each one to begin a wonderful relationship with you, a relationship of love, loving you, serving you, being dedicated to you. Let it be so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.